On August 25, 2017, Hurricane Harvey made landfall some 200 miles south of Houston on the Gulf Coast. It was a Category 4 hurricane. But after landfall, Harvey started moving slowly along. It stalled over southeast Texas, dumping rain on the Houston area. 50 inches of rain from a single storm. That's just one of the numbers that seems tough to believe. The rainfall broke all records. It caused the worst flooding the Houston area has ever seen. More than 150,000 homes flooded. Some are still rebuilding more than three years later. One of the places that flooded was a chemical plant in Crosby. It's owned by French chemical manufacturer Arkema, and the facility produces organic peroxides. They're used to make things like plastic cups and countertops, but they're also extremely flammable. And here's the thing, they have to be kept cold. Right, here's Arkema executive Richard Renard telling reporters what happens when those chemicals aren't refrigerated. If they start to warm up, they become unstable and they will decompose. When they decompose, they generate heat. And when they generate heat, there's a possibility of a fire and possible explosion. And that's what happened when more than five feet of water flooded part of the Arkema plant. The site lost power and backup power and trailers of organic peroxides burst into flames. The Arkema fire burned for days. More than 200 people evacuated their homes for a week. 21 first responders had to seek medical care. Hurricane Harvey was unprecedented, but it was also just one of six major flooding disasters that Houston has had over the past half decade. All of them so-called 100-year and 500-year floods, but all of them happening year after year. And these bigger, wetter storms are hallmarks of climate change. As the planet continues to warm, we're seeing storms with stronger winds, more rain, and higher storm surge, especially as sea levels rise. Texas Public Radio and Houston Public Media have spent the past half year reporting on chemical disasters in Texas. We spoke with a first responder who still has lung damage from the Arkema fire. And we found that not much has changed since then. Climate change is magnifying the impact of chemical disasters in the country's largest petrochemical hub. And under the right or wrong conditions, the Houston Ship Channel could become a toxic pool of chemicals and fire. Texas represents about 30% of total U.S. refining capacity, and most of the refineries are located on the Gulf Coast. Millions of tons of cargo pass through Houston's port each year. America's petrochemical corridor essentially has a bullseye on it. I'm Dominic Anthony Walsh with Texas Public Radio. And I'm Katie Watkins with Houston Public Media. This is the final chapter of Fire Triangle, our four-part investigation into chemical disasters in Texas. We're trying to answer the question, why are there so many chemical explosions and fires in this state? And what, if anything, is being done to prevent more? We spoke with one of the first responders whose life was changed by the Arkema fire. Uh, my name is David Klozik. K-L-O-Z-I-K. I'm a lieutenant with the Sheriff's Harris County Sheriff's Office. I've been here 19 years. Klozik was at a gas station near the Arkema plant on the night of August 30th, responding to another call. While he was there, one of his deputies radioed in. One of my deputies tell me they drove through a chemical cloud that came across the radio. And they believed that the Arkema plant had started to catch fire and the chemicals were being released. 
Arkema had set up an evacuation zone, a 1.5-mile circle all the way around its plant. But a key route for hurricane relief, Highway 90, ran through the evacuation zone, and it stayed open. Harris County deputies were stationed on the perimeter, ready to block the road if something happened at the plant. Klozik drove over to meet up with them. What followed, he says, was a lot of back and forth with the fire marshal and Arkema rep and other officials. But eventually, Klozik and two other sergeants decided to go check on the deputy who said he'd driven through a chemical cloud. Right, and keep in mind, it's late, around midnight, so it's very dark, but the rain had stopped. Klozik says at first he didn't see anything unusual, but then he came upon a cloud of white smoke. It looked like a patch of thick fog. We drove through, the look of it would have been intense fog, is what it looked like. Okay, I didn't know what it was, but immediately, as soon as we drove through, as soon as it got into the car, that's when my eyes started to water, became irritated, and my throat started to burn. They didn't want medical staff to have to drive through whatever they had just driven through, that murky cloud of white smoke, so they turned around. So we made the decision to get back on the same roadway and drive back to where everybody else was at. So going back, we had to drive through the same cloud again. But this time we had the windows up, the AC off to try to minimize any more exposure. But that wasn't enough to protect them. By the time we left and we got back to Lindstrom and Highway 90, the headache, the dizziness, I was nauseated, I was dry heaving. It was, it was, I could, anytime I would swallow, my throat was on, I was like razor blade, like a bad case of strep is what it felt like. And then we had other deputies show up to the meeting point as well, saying that they had drove through a cloud in different spots. They weren't feeling well. And so I was radioing for EMS and EMS started to show up and some of the EMS personnel were sick because they had been exposed trying to get to us. So essentially, an entire group of first responders was incapacitated from these chemicals, all at the same time. Yeah, and Klozik says he's still dealing with health problems from that night, more than three years later. My pulmonologist called it a ground glass effect. The CT scans of my lungs, it looks like somebody laid ground glass on the CT. It gets real foggy, and, and then at the same time, my pulmonary function is starting to drop. My capacity, my function, um, everything started to decline. He says workers' comp gave him a disability rating of 50%. He was given medication for lung inflammation that helped, but came with mood swings. And he says he had to stop working in the field. It's also changed the way he thinks about Houston. It's made him question if he wants to live there long term. Yeah, because I got to look for stuff now that I didn't pay attention to before. Like, if I see one of the flares up in the sky from a chemical plant, I change my route to work. You know, I don't want to drive anywhere near anything like that. The sirens freak me out. I have to pay more attention now to air quality. I have to pay more attention to pollen, mold, humidity, stuff that never bothered. I never had a sinus problem in my life. And since then, I've not stayed sick. I've had to have sinus surgery since all this happened. Klozik says he was prepared to deal with other tough situations, but nothing like this. David Klozik is among seven first responders who are suing Arkema for bodily injuries. 
But there's also another lawsuit filed against the chemical company that caught a lot of people's attention, including Closix. Right. Harris County filed a criminal lawsuit against Arkema. The petrochemical industry up and down the ship channel was closely watching the case. A criminal conviction would send a strong message about how companies are held responsible for preparing for disasters. The trial put climate change on the table. Here's Kelly Harrigan with the University of Texas at Austin's Environmental Law Clinic. The question is, can, can industry put its head in the sand and ignore all of these studies about climate change and then claim, you know, we didn't know, um, we can't be held responsible for anticipating that. And I think that's kind of the, the crux of the arguments in the case, what they should have known and what they should have planned for. And so what the case really came down to is, did Arkema act with criminal recklessness by failing to properly prepare, as the DA's office argued, or was Harvey an act of God that nobody could have anticipated? And that second option, that Harvey was an act of God, is certainly what Arkema argued. Here's one of Arkema's defense lawyers, Rusty Hardin, speaking about the trial at a virtual press conference. This company three years ago, had employees perform heroically trying to deal with what all the evidence in this trial showed was a totally unprecedented natural disaster. The Arkema lawyers accused the DA's office of seeking to criminalize the impact of a natural disaster that not even the county was prepared for. So to make a very long and complicated trial short, all of the charges were either dropped or dismissed. It didn't really send the strong rebuke to industry that some were hoping for. Three years later, Arkema still hasn't reopened its Crosby plant. The Arkema chemical disaster was the result of catastrophic flooding from Hurricane Harvey. It took out the power needed to keep chemicals cool. But scientists warn that bigger and more devastating storms are around the corner. And the nation's biggest petrochemical complex is vulnerable. It is my belief that we would have the worst environmental disaster in United States history. Coming up on Fire Triangle, the storm that most worries researchers. Okay, Katie, now I'm a little bit stressed. Well, we'll also look at a massive multi-billion dollar project to address it. It's hard to believe that in a place as big and diverse as Texas, a lot of old stereotypes persist. From politics to environmental policy to the people, we're covering stories that don't usually get a whole lot of airtime. And we're offering new spins on a lot of those that do. I'm David Brown, inviting you to join us for the next Texas Standard. Katie. Dominic. Fire Triangle. Hurricane Harvey was a rain event. It flooded from the sky. But what most worries experts in Houston is flooding from the sea, storm surge, when hurricane winds push seawater up onto the land. Their fear? A major hurricane that makes landfall near the southern end of Galveston Island. That's about an hour south of downtown Houston. Because that would mean the storm surge would be pushed up the Houston Ship Channel home to the nation's biggest petrochemical complex, dozens of refineries and chemical plants, and thousands of storage tanks. Not exactly where you want a Category 4 hurricane to hit. I mean, I think it's really a funnel effect in the sense that you've got all of this uh, water that's being blown and it begins to be constrained by land. 
And so the, the water begins to be forced into a smaller and smaller area, and so the volume will go higher. And as it moves up into Buffalo Bayous, it moves up into the Houston Ship Channel. Jim Blackburn is an environmental attorney and the co-director of Rice University's SPEED Center. That's an acronym for Severe Storm Prediction, Education, and Evacuation from Disasters. You can see why they use the acronym. But anyways, they run models to see just how vulnerable we are to a major storm and environmental disaster. So this worst case storm, that's something that Blackburn thinks about a lot. And as the storm surge moves up the ship channel, there's a few things that worry him. One is all the storage tanks. The tanks are not designed to withstand uh, essentially being surrounded by water, and they have a tendency to pop off their foundation, spilling their contents. There's also thousands of shipping container boxes that will float in floodwaters. These boxes turn into basically rams that will basically penetrate the side of a storage tank. And again, there are thousands of giant storage tanks. Each one can contain millions of gallons of petroleum or other hazardous chemicals. During Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, when just one tank was ripped off its foundations, it spewed one million gallons of crude. The spill damaged some 1,800 homes, thick black crude coating sidewalks, grass, floors, and furniture. Rice's Speed Center ran a simulation of a 500-year storm surge event to see how storage tanks along the ship channel would fare. And they found some 700 tanks had a high probability of failure when battered with hurricane storm surge, winds, and waves. 700. That's a lot of toxic chemicals oozing into floodwaters. Right, but Blackburn says we've already seen isolated incidents, like the tank spill during Katrina or the fire at Arkema. But if storm surge comes up the ship channel, the entire complex could be affected at the same time. When we have 25 feet coming up the ship channel, we're talking about 15 miles of those type of events. It it will be unlike anything that we have ever experienced. But just how likely is this worst case storm? What I can tell you is that these statistics are changing. These storms are getting bigger. And we are not very good at predicting how this change is going to translate into a more severe risk in the future. This is where I think we've been hurt by our failure to admit that the climate is changing. So the odds are hard to pin down, but scientists do know that climate change is causing hurricanes to become more powerful. And to intensify more rapidly, going from a Category 1 to a Category 4 hurricane in just 24 hours. It's my personal belief that we have to plan for a Category 5 storm and the surge that would come with it if we're going to be competitive in the 21st century. It seems to me that to plan for a lesser storm is to simply put up an inadequate defense. And so... One can anticipate climate change by just simply saying, we know a Cat 5 is a possibility. Let's plan for it. So remember, we're sitting here in essentially the tornado alley of hurricanes, the Gulf Coast. And under the wrong conditions, the Houston Ship Channel could become a toxic soup of chemicals and fire, endangering the millions of people that live in the area. Not to mention the damage it would cause to the coastal ecosystem and the economy. Okay, Katie, none of this is making me less stressed. I know, I'm sorry. 
But there are a few plans in motion. One is a $26 billion project by the Army Corps of Engineers and the Texas General Land Office. Right, right, the Ike Dyke. Yeah, it's called the Ike Dyke because the idea has been in the works since Hurricane Ike. Which happened all the way back in 2008. Right. So the project has a few different components, but the main part are these massive storm surge gates. Well, actually two 650-foot wide gates that would stretch across the bay. Each gate is about twice the length of a football field. They're the kind of gates the Dutch are known for, if you've ever seen photos of their big storm surge barriers. Exactly. And they're only closed in the event of a storm. The idea is that they would protect the ship channel from hurricane storm surge. A lot of local leaders from both sides of the aisle support the project. And it also has the support of the petrochemical industry. We are an advocate of the coastal barrier system because it's about protecting the people. It's about protecting the environment. Now, it's also important because we are a critical uh, industry, very essential to the U.S. and the global economy. That's Dennis Winkler. When we spoke with him, he was the interim executive director of the East Harris County Manufacturers Association. That's a group that represents about 130 different companies, mostly along the ship channel. Companies like ExxonMobil, Arkema, Dow Chemical, Chevron, you get the idea. Anyways, Winkler says they've supported the coastal barrier from the beginning because it would add protection on multiple fronts. But to him, some of the talk about a hurricane hitting the ship channel is a bit exaggerated. There is hyperbole in a lot of the uh, uh, doomsday scenarios, but that doesn't mean that we look at that and say, oh, no, uh, you know, that's just hyperbole. We look at the science. We look at the data. Uh, we work with our uh, state and federal organizations to identify what the you know, real concerns are to, the, to this point in time. Uh, this industry has done a very good job with, uh, you know, with the hurricanes and, and with the flooding. He says hurricane and severe weather planning are top of mind for companies along the ship channel. But he declined to provide specific examples of what category of hurricane or what level of storm surge companies are actually planning and preparing for. Yeah, I, I, I won't get into the, uh, the speculation of, you know, what size storm surge here and there. I'll just say that, you know, we, we do have, uh, you know, the worst case scenarios planned. Uh, we have not faced those uh, you know, and but we do build uh, and design the facilities to uh, to standards that will withstand hurricane force winds. Okay, so back to the coastal storm barrier project. It has the support of local officials. It has the support of industry. But Katie, the idea of the Ike Dyke has been in the works for over a decade. Do you think it's actually ever going to get built? Well, it is moving slowly along. The Army Corps plans to release their final draft in May. And after that, it has to go to Congress for federal approval and funding. And then assuming Congress approves it, it would take another 12 to 20 years before it's actually built. So the earliest we're talking about is, what, 2033? Yep. And that's more than 10 hurricane seasons. And we just finished 2020 with a record hurricane season. There were 30 named storms. And 13 hurricanes. And Houston just narrowly dodged Hurricane Laura in August before it turned east, wreaking havoc on Louisiana. Where a chemical fire did break out at a chlorine plant. Okay, Katie, I am once again asking you to stop stressing me out. (laughs) Well, there is one pretty simple thing that officials could do in the meantime. Oh. Oh, there is? 
well, remember those storage tanks that Jim Blackburn from Rice was worried about? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The state of Texas could do a better job regulating those. That's next on Fire Triangle. From breakthroughs in science and technology to explorations of humanity, Think is an opportunity to take a deep dive into the topics you're most curious about. We bring you discussions with philosophers, authors, public figures, and policymakers, the people who influence us in ways we don't always see. I'm Chris Boyd, and I hope you'll join us next time on Think. Katie. Dominic. Fire Triangle. So far, we've looked at a few ways to prevent chemical disasters when hurricanes hit. We saw how the courts might have been one place to move the needle, but that fell short. We also talked about a project to build a giant storm barrier system that could offer broad protection for the ship channel, the petrochemical capital of the country. But at the earliest, the Ike Dyke is still more than a decade off. So now we're going to zoom in and look at why experts say hurricane-proofing storage tanks is so important. Remember, these tanks are massive, about as long as a school bus and two or three stories high, filled with dangerous chemicals. Right. So let's go back to Hurricane Harvey for a minute to see why these tanks are such a fire risk. During Harvey, hundreds of thousands of gallons of oil, fuels, and toxic chemicals spilled into the floodwaters. One of the major spills was at a storage facility owned by Magellan Midstream Partners. It was in Galena Park, a city near Houston that's close to the ship channel. Galena Park was flooded. We couldn't leave. Galena Park always becomes an island. We never flood per se. Some parts do, but for the most part, Galena Park becomes an island, but we can't leave. We're stuck here. That's Juan Flores, who you might remember from episode two. Right, right. He manages the Community Air Monitoring Program with Air Alliance Houston, a local environmental advocacy group. He lives in Galena Park, and he says during Harvey, it started to smell. And people that were living here on the bayou, everybody was complaining on Facebook, do you smell that? It smells like chemicals, it smells like petrol. Everybody was complaining, we could all smell this smell so bad. Flutus says that during the incident, no officials were really communicating what was causing the smell. And you know what? At first, they didn't say anything about it. They were all quiet. They're like, oh, it was just a slight spill. Two days later, oh, it was a little bit bigger than what it was. And then like a couple days later beyond that, it was one of the biggest spills that ever happened. And we're like, we knew it. I mean, we smelled it. It turns out it was nearly half a million gallons of gasoline just from the Magellan tanks in Galena Park. And those were just two of at least 15 tanks that failed during Harvey. In that instance, there was a really nasty smell. Residents reported headaches and respiratory problems. And the spill polluted the soil, water, and air. But it could have actually been worse. Thousands of gallons of hazardous chemicals leaking into floodwaters can easily catch fire. If you get these out into the open and you have a spark, they can catch fire. That's Ramanan Krishnamurti. He's a professor of petroleum engineering at the University of Houston. He says given how common electrical problems are during storms, it's not rare for there to be an ignition source. And it doesn't even take a spark or a flame. Think about what happened at Arkema. The freezer failed. And sometimes if the temperature is hot enough, the ignition point it can be lower than the, than the ambient temperature. And so they can spontaneously catch fire too, uh, under the right conditions um, or the wrong conditions, if you will. It's not like they are very unique wrong conditions, right? 
That's why Krishnamurti and other experts say there need to be multiple lines of defense, something older tanks generally don't have. We typically, in modern day safety, the way we handle this is to have multiple sets of barriers that prevent an accident from happening. The older designs, and some of these are 30-year-old designs, right? These don't have multiple barriers. He says Hurricane Harvey showed us that heavy rainfall can damage older tanks. And storm surge can also rip them off their foundations. And they can buckle under the pressure of winds or storm surge. Think of crushing a soda can in your hand. A giant three-story high soda can full of toxic chemicals. And despite the risks, hurricanes aren't factored into tank design the way earthquakes have to be in seismic regions. So there are design standards for tanks set by the American Petroleum Institute, and those standards do address a lot of these issues. But these are standards, not regulations. Right. And the state environmental agency, the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, or TCEQ, has a long list of requirements for below-ground storage tanks. But above-ground storage tanks are exempt. Right. So during the last state legislative session in 2019, Texas State Senator Nathan Johnson sponsored a bill to increase state oversight of above-ground storage tanks. And it got a hearing, but it never made it out of committee for a vote. There was also a kind of disbelief within the legislature and within the public uh, about the fact that these things aren't regulated. Oh, surely they are. No, actually they're not. Oh, surely they are. Oh, no, actually they're not. But there's all these standards. We have professional standards that govern these things. Well, um, they're not regulated. So Johnson has sponsored another bill for this 2021 state legislative session. That bill would require the TCEQ to come up with stricter rules for both new and existing older storage tanks in areas that are likely to flood. I think that historically many states, and and certainly Texas, has been a bit too much in a reactive approach to things. And so disaster strikes, and then we go prepare for the disaster. You know, we, we can't prepare for a direct meteor hit right now, but I think we can look at what is reasonably likely to happen now and in the near future. And, and these above-ground storage tanks pose potentially a catastrophic risk if things go really awry. It's easy to think of climate change as a far-off problem, something we'll have to deal with in the future. But Houston is already feeling the effects. Harvey dumped record amounts of rainfall, and that record flooding already caused one chemical fire when it took out the power at the Arkema plant. David Klozik and other first responders are still dealing with the consequences of that fire. We have to think about it every single day. Every, there's not one day, literally not one day that I don't have to think about it. Because either I'm having to use a standard inhaler or a rescue inhaler, or I'll walk outside and I can't catch my breath because it's too humid. Every single day, we have to think about it. When chemical disasters happen, they have a devastating impact, as we've seen in every episode of Fire Triangle. They jolt people awake in the middle of the night, thinking a bomb has gone off, their houses knocked off their foundations. They exacerbate and cause long-lasting health problems. And in the worst cases, these deadly explosions and toxic fires destroy communities, killing Texans decades before their time. Our half-year investigation found that poor planning, lagging federal regulations, and a lack of transparency from the Texas state government have, together, contributed to some of the most devastating chemical fires and explosions in Texas. 
Each of these shortfalls creates ripple effects. When they overlap, disasters are intensified, and climate change further multiplies the consequences. Those ripples become a tsunami. Texas is not ready. Fire Triangle is reported and produced by Dominic Anthony Walsh. And Katie Watkins. Our editor is Kitty Isley. Fact-checking by Sarah Sneath. Sound design and music by Jacob Rosati. Special thanks to David Martin Davies, Dan Katz, Dave Failing, Lori Johnson, Laura Eisensee, and Report for America, a nonprofit national service organization that places journalists like me in local newsrooms to report on undercover issues. Fire Triangle is a production of Texas Public Radio in collaboration with Houston Public Media. Well, that's all for Fire Triangle. This is our last episode, but not our last story about these issues. You can keep up with our reporting at tpr.org and houstonpublicmedia.org. And if you have a story about a chemical disaster or anything at all, drop us a line. You can reach me at dominic at tpr.org. And I can be reached at kwatkins at houstonpublicmedia.org. All right. Bye for now. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.